listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Thank you, worship team. And good morning, church. You can have a seat. Glad to see you this morning. On Palm Sunday, it actually got here really quick this year, it seemed like. Uh, But today, being that, I wanted to let you know we have put together uh, a reading plan for this week uh, to set our hearts and minds on the importance of this week in the Christian faith. And so on this back table, uh, there are some of these sheets, there's some reading each day uh, as we will walk through together, reading together the events of Holy Week. And so this morning, I want to invite you back to Ephesians chapter 5. We have seen Paul talk to us about walking in unity. We've seen him talk to us about walking in purity. And last week, he talked to us about walking in love. And so today begins the next major section, the last major section of this book here in Ephesians. And it is probably the most common, the most popular, the one that most people know. And he gets super practical. So today it's going to be all about us personally. Uh, the next week after that, it's going to be the husbands and wives passage. And for some reason, husbands always go, oh, the submitting part. That's right. That's what they all remember. In fact, Clint asked me this morning, is that what you're preaching on on Easter Sunday? So no, uh, we will save that to the week after. Uh, and we will look at Matthew chapter 28 next week with it being Easter. And then favorite one for parents, children and parents will be the week after that. And then we'll look at the idea of work to close out our Ephesians study. So Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, we're going to read the passage and then we will pray and we're going to simply walk through this passage together. So this morning we're going to begin in verse 15, cover through the next seven verses. Let me read this for us. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. Let his saints hear and let's pray. Father, we thank you again for an opportunity to gather as your people. And Lord, we believe this each and every week that no one is ever here by accident. That no matter what we thought brought us here, whether it is our weekly routine or we're checking out a new church or we're visiting family or whatever it might be, that you have directed our paths to be here today. That even before the foundations of the world, you had today in mind and you have something for us. Lord, we are thankful for your word that you have written and inspired and preserved for us. And it was true then and it is true today And it will be true tomorrow and for all eternity. 
And so, Lord, would your spirit lead and guide us this morning? Would it teach us, convict us, and encourage us? Ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this morning, I want to begin with a sports analogy, but I had a seminary professor say, never use a sports analogy because you'll kind of eliminate all the people that don't enjoy sports. But I'm going to break that one rule today because it's so fitting. And we're in this time of spring baseball and softball, and those things are going on. And with sports, you start out, and you learn the basics. You learn the fundamentals. In fact, I saw some pictures of Weston and even Jack going out for t-ball, and I can tell you uh, that Weston has playing in the dirt down. Uh, he's got that set. But when kids are starting out, we, you teach them the basics. And it starts with which hand the glove goes on and which hand you throw with and which leg you step with. And they're going to get it wrong the first hundred times. But after a while, they do those routine, the fundamental things over and over again to where as they grow up, they don't have to think about that anymore. They know the glove goes on this hand, I throw with this hand. And their mind is not even thinking about it. They just have done it. I think the problem with that is we can do something so many times and we almost forget the basics. In fact, I was talking to Adrian, their daughter uh, Avery is learning to drive. And if you don't know that, blessing as a parent, uh, soon you will. And uh, we went through that with Kylie and she would say I yelled at her all the time, but it's not true. Uh, what would happen is, you know, I would tell her, turn, 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 turn. And so by the last time, yes, I would be yelling, but it was the eight times before that. But we're talking, and she said, it's one of these things that's been so confusing because there are things that I do as driving, I don't even really think about it anymore. And I had to stop and to think, how do I communicate how to do something that just really comes natural? Well, today, this is what Paul is doing for us. He's wanting to take us back to the basics the fundamentals of Christian life. And here's how I have broken up this passage, thinking of it this way. I believe he's telling us, encouraging us to walk in wisdom that, that the Spirit gives us. That we're to walk in this, the basic fundamentals of the Christian life. And he's going to be in talking about the fundamentals of walking in verse 15. In verse 16, he's going to talk about the fundamentals of time management. He'll then move to the fundamentals of discernment and then to self-control. And then in the last three verses, he's going to close up with the, the evidences of what does a spirit-filled life look like. So let's walk through this together, beginning with the fundamentals, the basics of walking. Because look at verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So he says, look carefully how you walk. But think about it. Most of the time, we don't give much thought to the idea of walking. It's something we've done so many times. We just get up and our legs do what we have told them to do, and it just comes natural. But if it's dark outside... Or you have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Or you're walking somewhere and maybe there's an element of danger. You, you walk much more carefully. You're much more alert. You, you focus more on the things around you. And so he is saying, be careful how you are walking. And he says, not as the unwise. And unwise here means several things. One thing it means, it's being aware of the facts. 
This took me back till I'm 12 years old, riding my bike, and I forgot a simple fact. I'm riding home, I'm late as usual, and uh, going really fast, because I could ride a bike really fast, believe it or not, and a uh, big pothole up ahead. And I thought, I'm going fast enough that I'll just skim right over the top of that pothole. I forgot the facts of the laws of physics. And what happened is, I ended up breaking my arm, and I forgot I wasn't aware of the facts, unwise. But it also means being unaware of a plan. So you take a sports analogy, and once again, sorry, professor. Uh, coach lays out a plan. Everybody has a job to do. Well, the unwise would either be you're not aware of the plan, you weren't paying attention, or you refuse to follow the plan. But there's a third meaning in this word that Paul uses, and it's this. That unwise is focusing on living as if God doesn't exist. Living life just for me or not giving any thought to the facts or the plans of God. But notice, remember, who Paul is talking to. He's writing to believers in the church in Ephesus. And he's telling these believers, don't live, don't walk as unwise. Don't live your life as if God doesn't exist. But these are people that know and have experienced God. They've come to faith through Christ Jesus. But what that means for us is that even as believers, we can go about our lives living our days as if God doesn't exist. Because how often do we stop and think, I wonder what God would want me to do here. What, what is God's plan in this? I think oftentimes we think about that for the big decisions. Maybe we're contemplating moving or buying a new home. And men will really give thought, is this God's plan or a career change? Or maybe something major going on in our lives. And we give a lot of thought as God does exist in those things. But what about the things that we do a thousand times that just become routine? What about in those smaller things about going to the grocery store? Driving to the office, the activities our kids are going to be involved in, having dinner as a family. Do, we can do all those things that we seem to do a thousand times that just come natural. But the danger is, is we often don't give thought to what is God's plan. What are the facts that he's got going on in this that I need to be aware of? Because I think what happens when things become really natural and it's just a routine, we can lose sight of the importance of being intentional in those moments. So he tells us not to be unwise, but as wise, meaning conducting our everyday, all-day affairs with concern or acknowledgement of God. Well, then he talks about the fundamentals of time management. Because look at verse 16. He says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, if you don't struggle with time management, we can't be friends. Because we all do, don't we? We struggle with this idea that we've only got a certain number of hours in the day. And how do we fit everything in? How do we get everybody where they need to be? And how do I get to the store and then get dinner fixed before we have to head out for this? That balancing expectations at work and in the home and time management is an issue. So notice what Paul says. He says, making the best use of the time. 
He means to take advantage of the time that we have. or making the most out of every opportunity. In fact, there's an old Chinese proverb that says it this way. It says, opportunity has a handle so that you can grab a hold of it when it comes. But once it's passed, you cannot seize it again. Once again, this is where being intentional is so important. Not just with the things that we do each and every day a thousand times. It just come natural. But even in our time, because notice the days are evil. We need to remember that evil is anything that is contrary to God. And so the days are evil because they are controlled by the God of this age. Because remember back to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 where he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and whence you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in the sons of of disobedience. So Satan opposes God and his plans and all of the facts about him. But since Satan can't control, since he cannot derail or frustrate God, you know what his next best option to do? Is to get his that are those that are following him to miss out on opportunities. And I think that's what Paul is getting at because look at back at the beginning of that verse. He says, make the best of the use of time. But if we're honest, we've all missed a lot of opportunities. We've missed opportunities with our children and our spouses, our friends, and even in our jobs. We have missed countless opportunities. But here's the good news. You're just a moment away from a new opportunity. Now, oftentimes when I'm speaking with somebody or sitting down trying to talk with them, and especially if they found themselves in a place that um, they never wanted to be, they've just made a bad decision that led to another bad decision that led to another bad decision. And oftentimes, man, it can be overwhelming. It, It can be heartbreaking to sit down and hear some of these stories. But almost every time, this is always what I tell them. You know what, man, those are some opportunities that absolutely you missed. But the best thing you can do is make the next right decision. That's all you can do at this point. You can't do anything to change those missed opportunities or bad decisions. The next thing you can do is when that next opportunity, that next decision comes along, make the right decision. And then when we can string enough of those in place, the next right decisions, we will find ourselves in a better place. So the good news is there are more opportunities coming. And we need to be intentional about making the most of those. So here's a question that I wrote for us this morning. Then what area of your life do you feel like has gotten away from you? What area of your life does it seem like you have a lot of missed opportunities? Where do you need to be more Intentional, or who do you need to be more intentional with? Well, the good news is it's not too late because there is another opportunity just around the corner. And Paul says, now is the time to be intentional and redeem them. So he talks to us about the fundamentals, the basics of walking and even time management. Well, then he's going to talk about discernment. 
Because look at verse 17. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So it's don't be foolish, don't, don't be senseless, or don't be unwise, which is living as if God doesn't exist. Therefore, foolishness is this idea of the extent to win which we live our lives as if God doesn't exist. But notice where he's going on. He says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And you know, it means to, to comprehend what his desires, his wish, or the resolve of God is. And I think we can often approach God's will like it's a mystery that we have to solve. You know, we, I think a lot of times thinking of a major decision, we've talked about a few of those. Hopefully, we are trying to discern what God's will is. Hey, is it to, to buy this house or this car? I'm dating this person. And, we're, you know, is this the person I'm to marry? And these big decisions of life, hopefully, we are trying to discern and understand what God's will is in those moments. But God's will that Paul is referring to here is not a mystery at all. In fact, he has laid it out plainly for us. If you read back through the first five chapters, he's going to talk about God's will that we to trust in him, to believe in his son. He's told us to walk in unity, purity, love, and now wisdom, that God's will is that we would live a spirit-filled life, and he has not hidden that from us at all. The problem is, we're just choosing not to understand it. But I believe this. I had this thought this week, and I've ran it by myself. I've talked with several people, and I think it's true. That the more we are living according to God's well-communicated will, to the extent that we are doing that, the more that we are living according to God's well-communicated will, plan or will for our lives, the more we are doing that, the easier it will be to discern God's will in the areas where it's not so known. I think that's true, that the more I'm following God's well-communicated will for my life, the easier it will be on those things where maybe it's not so known. So living as a fool means refusing to follow God's well-communicated will. So the fundamentals of discernment is that we are following God's will in every decision that we make. He says that is a fundamental, that is a basic of the Christian life. So he says it's walking as the wise, not the unwise. Using, making the most of every opportunity talks about discernment, of being able to discern what God's will is. And then he moves to self-control. Because look at 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And we often focus on the first part of that. Do not be drunk with wine. I heard that quoted to me my whole life. But Paul is using this to actually make a point. Because notice he says, do not be drunk with wine, but it's contrasted with something. But being filled with the Spirit. And notice the thing that connects those two phrases. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for it is debauchery. And what that means, that word means to, to lack discipline, 
to lack self-control that can lead or leads to ruin. So Paul is really talking about here is self-control. Because notice he doesn't say do not drink or enjoy wine. He says do not drink to get drunk to be, be filled with the Spirit. It is a contrast to be understood because being drunk is to be out of control. But to be spirit-led is to be under the control of the Spirit. That we should be under the control of the Spirit and His influence in our lives. And Paul is using this as a word picture. Because I think he could have substituted anything here. Do not be controlled by greed, but be controlled by the Spirit. Do not be controlled by anger, but controlled by the Spirit. Do not be controlled by material things, but be controlled by the Spirit. The Paul is saying a basic or the fundamental to a Christian or a Spirit-filled life is to be self-controlled or controlled under the Spirit. So now we need to stop for just a moment and talk about that because that's one of those phrases. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I think there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of bad teaching on this. So what does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? Here would be my definition. To be filled by the Spirit is to live a life that is controlled by the Spirit or under the control of the Spirit. But there's a few things I think we need to understand about this command here from Paul to understand what he means to be filled by the Spirit. First of all, notice it's a command. It's not a suggestion. For the believer, it is a command. It's not just a good idea that we are commanded to be filled by the Spirit, meaning this is something that we can't ignore. Even if we want to, we are to be filled with the Spirit. But the second thing we need to understand is notice, this is a plural command. This is for all of us. And I think there's a lot going on there about being filled by the Spirit, meaning it's something you can't, or can't happen to you when you are just by yourself. But I believe this, that when we believe and we trust in Jesus Christ at conversion, we are indwelled. Paul has told us we are sealed. And he will tell us later that we are baptized in the Spirit. So at conversion, you have all the Spirit. There isn't anything you can do to get more of the Spirit. Whether you're 8 or 80, when you come to faith, you have all of the Spirit. But here's the real interesting thing. This command in this passage it's a passive command. It's not active. So it means let the Holy Spirit fill you. So even though it's a command, it's a passive one. So why would Paul use that? I think this is the point. That to be filled with the Spirit, there isn't this ritual. There, um, there isn't this formula. There isn't a 10-step program you can do to be filled with the Spirit. But we are filled when we yield everything to the Spirit. When we allow the Spirit, that's why it's passive. When we allow the Spirit to lead and guide us, that is being filled in the Spirit. But a fourth thing about this, notice it's a present tense command, and that's important. It means that it's not a once and for all thing. 
at conversion, you have all the spirit. There isn't anything you can do to get more of it. But it's not a once and for all, but a continuous, ongoing thing. It never ends. Because listen to how Harold Honer puts it. He said, the feeling by the Spirit is more than the Spirit's indwelling. That happens at conversion. It is his activities realized in and through us that believers are commanded to be filled by the Spirit so they can understand what the will of the Lord and allow God's control of their lives, thus enabling them to make the most of every opportunity rather than giving in to the desires of their flesh. So the point is, we can't get more of the Spirit. We have all of it. Paul's question, I think, is being, does the Spirit have all of us? So in these next two verses, Paul is then going to describe what a Spirit-filled life looks like. These are not commands that he's about to move into. These are evidences of a Spirit-filled life. So we know it's a command. It's a passive command. It's something that happens to us. It happens to us at conversion. We're dwelled. We're sealed. But then there's this ongoing feeling that happens. And Paul's going to give four evidences about how we know, are we being filled with the Spirit? So this isn't a how, but it's evidences of it. Look at verse 19, the first one. Being filled with the Spirit. This will be the evidence of it. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Meaning if you're filled with the Spirit, your life is a musical. You no longer have to talk. You just sing to everybody, all the time. But trust me, if that was what Paul was referring to, you would not want me to be filled with the Spirit because it's not one of those things. But he's talking about here that when we address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, what, why would he use this example? I think one is when you read through the Scriptures, you see that songs and hymns and spiritual songs were used to express joy and thanksgiving. So a Spirit-filled person they will be filled with joy and thanksgiving no matter what is going on in their lives, sometimes even despite what is going on. Now, I wrote down, it doesn't mean they're always happy, but this person is joyful and thankful. But I think there's another reason why, why Paul uses the idea of singing songs and addressing one another. is that singing should be an encouragement to the church. I believe Paul, he is sitting in prison in Rome, chained to a guard, and he would have given anything to be able to sit in that home and hear the voices of other believers lifting up praise to the God he loves and is serving. That Paul misses that. I believe he's sitting there and he would be playing this over in his mind about what that was like to sit around with other believers, and he's wanting to encourage them to continue doing that. But there's a third reason I believe Paul uses this example. It's because singing, whether you're good or bad at it, can be a means of grace to other people. So just a few moments ago, we stood and we sang truth about who God is and what he has done. We don't, we don't know. We don't know what the person next to us or behind us or in front of us, we don't know what's been going on in their lives this week. We don't know what they're struggling with. We don't know who around us is having a hard time believing the words 
that we're singing. But when we sing, when we lift our praise of songs and hymns and spiritual songs, that can be a means of grace to people around us. But there's a second evidence. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That a spirit-filled life has something to sing about or rejoice because of the Lord. That we should always, no matter what is going on, we should always be able to find something worthy to praise Him about. Moth is great about this with our kids. In fact, sometimes she uses this on me. When we get to grumbling, she'll say, hey, stop and name three things you're thankful for. But as believers, being spirit-filled means that there is something we should always be able to worship our Lord about. But there's a third evidence. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the evidence of a spirit-filled life is they are thankful always and for everything. So let me give you this definition by Warren Wiersbe, and I'll apply it. It says, being thankful, thankful, that's my fault, being thankful, being thankful is a realization that we have been enriched because of, some, of something or someone. So being thankful is this realization that something or someone has enriched my life. And I think our degree of thankfulness goes into and comes out of the degree to which we feel enriched. So your computer crashes and someone gives you a brand new laptop. Man, your life's enriched and you are thankful, right, for that laptop. Or you go on vacation and your life is enriched by that time away and with friends and family, so you're thankful. Or you've had a busy week and your neighbor uh, mows your yard for you. And that, and that in some degree enriches your life. It gives you some time back that you needed. And so you're thankful. But a spirit-filled life is eternally thankful to God. No matter what is going on in their life. Because they realize how much he has enriched their lives. And I think there's one thing that we need to be able or figure out how to do. Is to understand how much he has actually enriched our lives. And if that could actually happen, we would never be short of something to be thankful for always and forever. But there's a fourth evidence. It's in the very last part of verse 21. And this is so important because what we're about to read really sets up what we're going to look at over the next several weeks. In fact, what we're going to see hinges from this verse. Everything that Paul's about to talk about with husbands and wives and children and their parents and the workplace, it all hinges on this verse. And this is the fourth evidence of a spirit-filled life. And I entitled this, The Fundamentals of Submission. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So a spirit-filled life to look back you address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We do that. We're going to sing melodies and praises to our Lord with our heart. We're going to give thanks always and for everything. And then in verse 21, a spiritual life 
is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But when we hear that word, don't we just naturally recoil just a little bit? That's a word that we naturally aren't that comfortable with. But Paul says, everything is about to hinge on this verse, and it is the key. Because a life defined by submission, you know, the only way that's ever going to happen is if that life is being led by the Spirit. Naturally, we will not live lives in submission. So a spirit-filled life, the fourth evidence, is one that puts others first. And for just a moment, just think about what life would be like if we really understood and grasped that truth, that life is about others. Imagine growing up in a home that embraced that one guideline. But how many rules we'd actually need if we just did that one. Others first. Think about a marriage conflict that could not be resolved if both parties just decided to submit to each other. Imagine how joyful the workplace would be if everyone was there putting other people first. But here's the key. Notice the last part of that verse. A spirit-filled life submits to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Paul doesn't say submit to one another, submit to one another out of reverence or respect for one another. Because let's face it, there are people and we are people that from time to time do not deserve to be submitted to. And I admit that. But he tells us we do not submit or to put others first because that person is always deserving but we submit out of reverence to Christ. And so this morning, Paul is wanting to take us back to the basics, back to the fundamentals. So he says, first of all, the fundamentals of walking, to walk wisely, meaning conduct everyday affairs, all that you do, even the things that seem mundane, conduct all of those with concern and acknowledgement of God. Everything that we do. He talked about the fundamentals of time management of making the most of every opportunity. Be intentional with the time that we have now. And then discernment. Understanding what God's will is for our life and then to follow it. And he has communicated it clearly. And the self-control. That we should live our lives ultimately under the control of the Spirit. And then he laid out all of these evidences We should sing because we have something to sing about. We should give thanks because of how much God has enriched our lives. And finally, a spiritual life is known by its submission of being able to put others first, not because they deserve it, not because they are worthy, but out of reverence for Christ. And I've been thinking how fitting it is today of Palm Sunday. The Sunday that the church historically looks back to remember Christ's triumphal entry when he rides the colt into Jerusalem. In this week, if you follow the reading plan, you know what you'll read? You'll read of Jesus taking time to teach others because he cares. You'll see Jesus washing the disciples' feet You're going to listen to him pray 
in the garden of Gethsemane. You're going to watch him being betrayed by one of his disciples. He's going to be delivered up to Pilate. A man named Barabbas will be set free because of him. You'll see him be mocked and humiliated, ridiculed, beaten, and whipped. And ultimately, you'll see him stretched and nailed on a cross, hanging between two criminals. All because Christ submitted himself to the Father. Without his submission, there would be no hope for you and me today. So this week, Christ, is we're going to watch him submit himself to each and every one of us on the cross. He will put us first. That his sacrifice should serve as inspiration and a standard for us to be able to do that for one another. And so here's the challenge this week. There's going to be all kinds of opportunities that we can put others first. We can submit ourselves to them. It may be in your home, in your marriage, with your children, your place of work, or wherever you're going to be this week. But look for those opportunities to submit and to put others first and watch God do something with those opportunities. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.